0: It's the Tom Bernard Show. Sitting in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with... Tevin Pittman. Andy Brent Bernard.
1: Cassie Schrader.
0: We will be back right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Michael
2: Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt, then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap.
0: We're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. We've got uh, some dumb crimes, stupid criminals we'll talk about real quickly.
4: Uh, Weird crimes taking place, too. Anchorage is is hopping with the strangeness. Anchorage is like one of the most (laughs) alcoholic places in the country, so...
0: How do you like this headline? Man was beaten, doused with bleach before being kidnapped in Anchorage. Well, I guess you want to clean yeah. before you don't want right? to get the van dirty. Good God. Two men and a woman face kidnapping charges in Anchorage in connection with a bizarre case involving a stolen vehicle and a man being beaten, tased, and doused in bleach. So no matter how bad you think your day is <laughs> this guy just won up to you. Damon Coso, twenty-seven, and bonita severin, forty-eight were arrested Friday night. A third man, thirty-four-year-old Peter Kaloon. We're uh, being sought by police Saturday evening. Police have accused Coso and Calhoun of physically assaulting and kidnapping a man named Jerry Haley. The episode began on July 15th when Severin gave Haley her car keys when she was arrested on a series of bench warrants, according to a charging document written by Assistant District Attorney James Klugman. Severin then asked Haley to take care of her vehicle, Klugman wrote. That night, the vehicle was stolen, according to Klugman. Severin was upset she couldn't get the car back and asked people to help her recover it, including Koso and Callaghan. Uh, according to Klugman, Severin posted pictures of her Facebook page of Haley and her car and promised a reward for both of them being brought to her. On
4: Facebook?
0: T- too, many, too many years of The Sopranos or what? Putting out a bounty? for <laughs> right. Several days later, close to midnight on July 19th, Severin ran into Haley at a store in Muldoon. Klugman wrote in the charges she eventually brought Haley back to her house where Koso and Coughlin were uh, waiting, the charges say. Koso and Coughlin uh, demanded Haley tell them where the vehicle was. When Haley said he didn't know, Koso and Coughlin began beating and kicking him. Then they shocked him with a taser, poured bleach on him, and made him strip naked, Klugman wrote. The men told Haley that the vehicle contained ten thousand dollars that the men needed to pay a debt. According to Klugman, yeah. For uh, future reference, maybe don't hide money in a vehicle. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know. Right, where do you put ten thousand dollars in yeah, the yeah, car are anyway? You
5: stripping away the side panels and like on the interior and putting Good it in the God. door?
0: Yeah, don't 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 hide money. I don't put anything of value in my cars. No. Nothing. No. of value. I have like a couple of nineteen-eighties cassettes of Vanilla Ice and. Uh, <laughs> Peebo Bryson, and that's about it. You can have him. Just take him. I don't even lock the All car. Right. Just take him. Don't break my windows. As uh, <laughs> they were threatening to kill him if he didn't go and get the uh, get the car and the money, as they were driving, Haley opened a window and jumped out of the truck at the intersection mm. of Lake Otis Parkway and Tudor Road. He flagged down a construction worker, contacted police, clubman wrote, he appeared to be covered in bleach. Or is that what he was just telling himself? You mean he smelled like <laughs> was he was bites. covered in bleach <laughs> <Right>. because. <laughs> oh no, Andy! No, this is a family show. <sighs> yeah. Officers searched Severin's home and found Haley's backpack, a large amount of spilled bleach, and Haley's clothing, which were drenched in bleach. So the answer is there for you, Andy. There was also a substantial amount of drug paraphernalia. Klugman wrote in the charges. is a surprise. Yeah. In an interview with police detectives, Corso uh, Coso denied assaulting Haley and said he and. Co- had simply offered Haley a ride home, and that Haley had jumped out of the truck for no reason, naked and covered in bleach. <laughs> right. Covered
5: himself in bleach, I swear. Yeah,
0: yeah. Severin told uh, police detectives she had not participated in the assault on Haley, and that she may have had bleach on the counter because she was washing dishes.
1: Who washes dishes with What is this,
0: 1812? <laughs> the lye soap is out? She also claimed to have washed Haley's clothing because it was dirty. You need to learn how to use bleach.
1: Well, I hope they were all white. All right.
0: I don't understand uh, how I kidnapped anyone, Your Honor, Severin told the judge at the arraignment Saturday afternoon. Koso and Severin each face a count of kidnapping and conspiracy. Okay, so quick quick poll on this. You kidnap somebody. You mm-hmm. beat them. Check. You kick them. Cor- you shock them with a taser and yep. then cover them in bleach after you've made them nude.
4: How much is your bond? Ooh. Uh, Wait, where question. is
0: this? Anchorage, Alaska.
4: Oh, Anchorage. Hmm. That's a good question. Probably t- not that high because they have so much crime going on.
0: Really? What do you think, Tim? Give, give me a total. I don't even know where to ballpark it, but not I feel good. like
5: that would be as a hundred thousand dollars. That too high? Okay, a hundred thousand dollars a piece or together? In Anchorage, I would say I'd say probably together. That would okay, be what, in, what do you think? In Katie?
4: Anchorage, I would say ten thousand a piece. Ten thousand a piece, honey? Where are you going
6: to go? Uh, I mean,
4: probably. Cassie. We're
6: in a
0: professional environment. I'm sorry I won't um, downplay your cute face and giggly eyes anymore.
1: Uh, let's see. Well, maybe they can get a two for one. It is Alaska. I would say five hundred for the pair. Five
0: hundred dollars. One hundred people surveyed. Top answer on the board. Survey says twenty-eight thousand dollars bail in both cash yeah, yeah. and corporate bonds. Oh wow! They're
4: really gonna get. We'll take
0: corporate bonds or cash. Twenty-eight grand For both of them? Yes. Yeah. So you were the closest, Andy. Yeah, I was off.
4: You went in attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> Anchorage does have so much alcoholism and so much crime, they can't afford to keep how it do jail. How do you know that? Were you checking uh, it out to see if you wanted to live there one day? <laughs> Recently, we were looking up on the show the most alcoholic places, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure Alaska is number one. Wow, really? Yeah, and Anchorage... Especially being a port town, you know, mm-hmm. there's—it's not a great place to live. We'll stay in Anchorage, where a man
0: bites a cab driver, hits him with bolt cutters, and then flees into a peanut farm. <laughs>
4: Wait, there's a peanut Wait, farm? Right, in exactly. What
0: kind of This sounds like a family guy plot, yeah, right? How many is... weird things can we throw together that don't go? I'm going to bite a cab driver then hit him with bolt cutters as I flee into a peanut farm in Anchorage. This sounds like a mad Lib. A 37 <laughs> Yes, it does. 37-year-old Anchorage man was charged with assault after he bit a cab driver late Thursday when uh, and then attacked him with bolt cutters. In a gas station parking lot, police said that is just completely a mad lib, right? Okay, so your story is a 37 year old Anchorage noun <laughs> yeah. was charged with verb. Wow, that's yeah, the, crazy. The cab driver was like, "Really? You just, I just got bit. I got I was like, bit? You get bolt Did you cutters bite from? me?" The driver called police at about 11:30 p.m. to report the assault. Said Anchorage police spokesman uh, M.J. Thim, the incident happened at the Chevron on the 5200 block of Old Seaward Highway. The driver said he had been bitten in the arm and struck in the face with bolt cutters. I don't know. If you were a cab driver and there's some guy waving you down carrying bolt cutters, I'm probably going to just take the next Uber. (laughs) I'm turning
1: my light off. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) Sandwich time. As officers were talking to the driver employees from the peanut farm across the street called 911. A man had just run into the restaurant with bolt cutters and was hiding in the restroom. (laughs) Nothing like calling attention to yourself. Officers, took p- officers put two and two together and said, that's, <laughs> that's our guy. That's great police work. Wow, nice going, Dudley Do, right? A team of officers and police dogs went right over. Employees pointed the officers in the direction of the restroom. <laughs> then a man, because the sign restroom wasn't good enough for him. The man ran out of the restroom, through the restaurant, ignoring officers' calls to stop. He ran into a restaurant kitchen, crashed into a wall, and fell down. Is he drunk? He's <laughs> got he to run drunk. into a wall. What does he think? He's going to wily coyote his way through the wall. Leave that perfect outline of himself. (laughs) At that point, officers handcuffed the man identified as just Justin Saunders. Police took Saunders to the hospital to check for head injuries from striking the wall. Yeah, I think he might might have other head head injuries injuries to investigate Saunders was belligerent toward police and hospital staff at one point spitting in an officer's face, Tim and Saunders. uh, Tim said Saunders was uh, treated for minor injuries and taken to jail. Uh, Tim or Thim didn't uh, immediately have information about what sparked the confrontation in the cab, but Saunders faces several assault charges. you got to be pretty angry, right? Yeah, and you'd think you would at one point,
5: if you're running into the restaurant, maybe drop the bolt cutters and not draw so much attention to yourself. Right. Is that <laughs> like,
0: how you do it? Yeah, that's drop the I mean. bolt cutters and the penis? Yeah. Bolt cutters are expensive. It is Anchorage. Well, that's true. You might need them. Mm. Oh, that's weird. Um, I don't know. Do we go to another biting story? Uh, I'll let you, I'll let you choose. Yeah, let's, we can let's go what... to, um, woman bites off woman's nose and swallows it. <laughs> oh yeah. I think we brought
4: that up, but never went into it.
0: Or, uh, let's see, where, where's this one? Um, Memphis man steals date's car and goes on another date. Oh,
4: oh
0: what that's a confidence. Cops, confidence <laughs> cops, respond, cops respond to a 911 call to find a four foot gator. Or, uh, a man arrested for letting a blow up doll drift into flight path.
1: Hmm. Flight path?
0: What,
4: he fill it with helium for
0: Whoa. some reason? <laughs> Is that the story? You well,
3: <laughs>
0: want to get her high, I guess. A uh, 19-year-old was arrested after the blow-up doll he had allegedly tied helium balloons to, uh, interpreted, or interpreted, interrupted, I'm going to try the bigger words at home later, uh, flight paths above Canada. If it's an inflatable doll, why didn't you just fill the doll with helium? Why did you have to yeah, that, that's balloon a question. The man could face charges for the incident at Va- Vancouver Harbor as police revealed it was an apparent stunt that he was filming. West Vancouver police said two men were filming a video when the sex toy drifted into the sky. <laughs> it was yeah, described that's what
4: helium as, balloons do. It was
0: described as an adult-sized, adult well, that's good, and shaped inflatable with ten large helium balloons attached to it. The officer believed release of the inflatables posed a hazard to aircraft. We're uh, please take a look outside the left side of the plane. You can see a uh, what appears to be an inflatable sex doll. Yeah,
5: it's uh, how did that yeah. call come through? Yeah, well, yeah. The pilot, like you see birds. You see <laughs> birds. a plane. It is a sex
0: doll. It, it is a sex doll. The officers believe the release of it uh, was posing a hazard. As officers approached, one of the males released the balloon, and inflatable, which then floated several hundred meters into the air. The apparent prank affected air travel in the area <laughs> because the uh, pilots are too distracted. Right. All of a sudden they're like, Woo-hoo. <laughs> hubba hubba. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the apparent <laughs> prank affected air travel as transport Canada and the civil aviation branch had to send a warning out to pilots. I would love to hear that yeah. call. Both men were arrested, later released pending an investigation. YouTube footage uploaded by an onlooker appears to show the moment the doll drifts into the sky surrounded by colored balloons. One of the accused, the 19 year old man, was released under a promise to appear in court. YouTube prankster Brody TV later claimed responsibility for the incident on Twitter. I'm going to court on September 19th on a charge of mischief for letting a sex doll that was strapped to a few balloons fly away, he tweeted. So I wonder if you can get in trouble for putting up those Chinese lanterns if you happen to be in a flight path.
4: If you're near an airport, yeah, they take that stuff really seriously. Because
0: yeah. I've never heard that aspect of it, but, uh, I mean, I guess there's a difference between yeah. Chinese lanterns and <laughs> life-size <laughs> <laughs> sex life doll.
1: It's
0: like um, the Macy's Day Parade gone awry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds like so, a you know a sequel to the movie Airplane, right. like Airplane 3, and they see inflatable dolls flying outside the plane.
0: Oh, we're going to go to Texas for this next story, where a woman was arrested for biting off part of the nose of another woman and then swallowing that body part. Ugh. The victim, identified as Tatiana by KTRK, says she and her next door, along with, uh, says she and her next door, Along with Jessica Collins, mm-hmm. 41, she went, I think they left out the word neighbor. neighbor. Yeah. Why do we check spell check <laughs> no. and grammar check? Um, went out to a Houston area bar last Wednesday. When the group returned to Tatiana's home, Collins allegedly demanded more alcohol and cigarettes, as she wont to do. <laughs> more cigarettes. Where's my burrito? Tatiana asked Collins to leave her home and claims she was pulled to the ground by her hair. Tatiana says Collins then bit off a large piece of her nose and swallowed it. I didn't have time to react to push her away, Tatiana told the station. I think I was trying to fight back, but I couldn't. All I could remember was the taste of blood in my mouth. Tatiana, who was rushed to the hospital, passed out several times, was not aware her nose had been ripped off until she was in the ambulance. Doctors say she's going to need plastic surgery, but she does not have health insurance. Collins was charged with assault and bodily injury.
3: Hmm.
0: Not when you just assume the homeowners insurance should take care of that, right? Or yeah, because they're... obviously people like that have got responsibility in homeowners <laughs> insurance.
4: Yeah.
0: Oh, you bit off somebody's nose. Yeah. How... and then swallowed it. How spiteful are
5: you? Ugh, I don't care how bad you need a cigarette. Like you don't need. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're writing people's body parts you're off. Right, you yeah. have a problem. Oh, yeah.
1: good
0: God. Police, man arrested after calling 911 to find out if he had any warrants. We're going to go to Thibodeau, Louisiana. Louisiana man is behind bars after dialing 911 to check if there were any active warrants for his arrest. According to WGNO, Christian Policios, 24, called just after 10 p.m. on July 16th. He reportedly told officers responding to the call that he knew the difference between an emergency call and a non-emergency call. He's now charged with unlawful use of the 911 system, the Thibodeau. Police department said the violation carries up to a $500 fine and as much as 30 days in the parish jail. That seems a bit overboard.
4: Yeah, for your yeah. first time, yeah. Right, you call 911. I just i am curious, do I have
0: any warrants? You don't, but you do now. <laughs> right. You're going down hard, bad boy. <laughs> I feel
5: like you should know if you have warrants out for your I don't, arrest. do you? I mean, I could call 911
0: and don't find out. I wouldn't do out. that. And they'll they'll, they'll put you down for just that. We have to take a break. We'll come back. We've got more to share. And then a little bit later, Harvey Kubernetes is going to join us to talk about the doors right here on the Tom Bernard Show.
3: and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Just like all of you, i had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it's as great as everyone says, well, I received my first My Pillow and I love it because I have a pretty big melon, pretty big head and my pillow will prop it right up. I can get my neck aligned and I sleep very well because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of My Pillow, has a very special offer for my listeners. My Pillow is offering buy one My Pillow and get another absolutely free. Don't delay, order now. This offer expires August 1st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first My Pillow. If you already know how great the My Pillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure to use the promo code TOM. Call 1-800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM.
0: I figured a little man-eater would be a good sign to uh-huh. <laughs> Huh? Huh? Yeah, the, man night, eater. the wife leaves, and uh, I bring it back to the to the solid music of Holland Oates. The gentle sounds of Holland Oates. I had a laugh. One of my buddies, a huge Holland Oates fan, right? Yep. And uh, he was so excited, he was in in um, Memphis on Beale Street or whatever for some big blues fest that was going on. And he <laughs> walked into a bar and uh, John Hall was there performing. Okay, <laughs> go, so was it just like ooh, Here she comes, (laughs) man eater. He goes, no. He actually sang more than that. Actually, I didn't realize how deep their, their catalog of music was. I went to a concert I won tickets to a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. It was like one of those. I I liked Hall & Oates. I'm an 80s guy, but they were never my my mix. But I went to the show. Man, I didn't realize they had so many songs. Yeah, and I've heard I've never been
5: to one of their concerts, but I've heard that they put on an incredible show in there. They're still still touring. I think they were just, were they not just in
0: town not too long ago? Yeah, who were they with? They were with uh, somebody else too, right? Yeah, I know. I heard, but yeah, they were put on a great show. Rod Stewart and Cyndi Lauper are going to be here in mid-August. they got a lot of concerts I'm going to check out here recently. And then Steve Martin and Martin Short are going to be in town Yeah, together. I saw that. They're, what are they, down at the casino? At the, yes, at the casino. Yeah. I guess they've got a Netflix special that kind of shows some of their comedy yep. special. So I don't want to watch it because I want to go see them live in, yeah. in concert. I've always wanted to see Steve Martin. It's been my my checklist. I'm going like, you know, in the 80s, I was too young and dumb and I didn't have money to, to pay for right. all these concerts. So now I'm getting a chance to go. So I, I just bought tickets for my wife and I to go see uh, Boy George, the B-52s, <laughs> and the Thompson Twin. Only one of the three will be Camp there. Camp night? Bro. Yes. on uh, What is it? The last night of uh, the state fair, I think it is. So the day before Labor Day. No, it's on Labor Day. It's on Labor Day. Yeah, I think it's on Monday, oh, okay. Labor Day. So they're, they're the big last roundout show. It's the Culture Club, the B-52s, and one Thompson Twin. Uh, <laughs> we have a caller. Oh, we do. Who, who's on the line with us?
1: Hey, it's Wendy from St. Paul. How are you doing?
0: Hey, Wendy from St. Paul, doing well. What's up?
1: Uh, you were absolutely right about Hollow Notes putting on a fantastic show. We went to that concert in May. They were there with Train, and it was so just was. amazing.
4: Train and um, Candace Springs, whatever yeah, that is. Yeah, it
1: was so good. <laughs> she was pretty good. Really? But Train and Hollow Notes were amazing.
4: So did they,
0: it, and they have a pretty deep catalog. Like I said, I didn't realize, I mean, they had like probably good 30 songs. I actually recognized every one of the songs they played. It was, really? yeah, blew me away.
1: Well, you know, the thing is that they can't, they can't play everything, too, because there was like 10 songs that I love, but they just, if they played all of the ones that were everybody's favorite, they would have been there till the next morning.
0: And if you depressed me, I would have it said was, there was maybe 15 to 20 songs that they've done. And it, they just kept oh, yeah. going. And it, it was, it was a good show. Although they're kind of the... They're kind of the pop culture version of uh, Brooks and Dunn, aren't they? Country band. (laughs) Have you ever seen those two?
1: They look like the exact same thing. You
0: have the big tall guy and the short guy with the mustache.
1: (laughs) Not really too much into them, but but, you know, the thing I did notice is that Daryl Hall, he can't he has to uh, alter how he sings because he can't hit the real, like he used to do a lot of the high right. notes where he forced his voice, and he can't do that anymore. So they kind of work around it.
0: Yeah, we saw, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I've seen Air Supply three times in concert. <laughs> <clears throat> I swear I was forced. Don't be imbe- no, I you went know, to. You
1: and I, are both the, you and I are both the same age, so it's I, okay. went, to, I went to like Rockfest. I, like, I rock fest. understand.
0: And, uh, you know, I saw him in the 80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, and I saw him in the mid 1990s, and then I saw him in the mid 2000s. And the lead singer, who has a very cool voice, right? A very rich, high voice, sounded like Kermit the Frog through the whole thing. And I don't know if he was just uh, having an off night, but it yeah. was just, I'm all out of love. What am I without you? And everybody in the audience is like, Is this a joke? Is it? And he sang the entire concert like Kermit the Frog. I think at that time you just pulled you know, a mic and, yeah. and run a tape and I think
1: a lot of them they sounded really good in recording, but they're people that they could sing, but they were never taught how to sing. Well, no, so, like, like I said, I've seen voice, them twice so in concert.
0: I saw them twice in concert before, and they were really good. I just think <laughs> mm-hmm. you hit a certain age. Oh yeah, where the talent starts to really mm-hmm. fade. McCartney is really rough now. Yeah, like it's yeah. really you can tell his backup. Singers are doing the majority mm-hmm. of the singing, and he'll hit the and then back away from the microphone for some of the notes. But he's got that kind of wispy I've, I just yeah. probably should have stopped smoking about 40 years ago <laughs> you know. voice, right? It's you know, mm-hmm.
1: hey, Jude, right? It's, it's, like, that... it's like Huey, it's like Huey, Huey Lewis. He can't, makes me sad. He can't perform anymore because he's got Meniere's disease. He's going, he's deaf at that level where he'd have to wear the earpiece and stuff. And I feel really bad because he's one of the best concerts.
0: Yeah, he is. I saw him out at the state best... fair too. They get some good good bands out there. I, yeah, they do. Out of the grandstand, right? Yeah, yeah. On occasion, you get some good, and then there's a lot of bands. I'm like, why are you here performing? <laughs> Although it was funny last, it was I think the last year I did the state fair with uh, the station I was with, uh, K Talk. Um, I we got done recording our segment just as Hanson burst into. There, and it was one like of the, the free concerts. Yes, it was the free concert. <laughs> it was flipping packed. Really? Oh, my God. There were people, and you could hear it. But I got to tell you, it was still catchy. They sounded like they did 900 years ago when they came out. That's amazing. The and, people that are yeah, still I'm, on tour. I'm going yeah.
1: to say I might have been there when that was happening. You know, I'm willing to
0: bet been, you yeah. there's no might involved. <laughs> no. You, were, you were right there, weren't Front you? Front row
1: possibly you know I mean I I I graduated in the mid 80s but I can still appreciate a good boy band every now and again
0: yeah when did you find a good boy band
1: well okay you know I'm still looking so I gotta keep listening in my opinion
0: the last good boy band was the Monkees and the Beatles (laughs) I don't
1: know (laughs) yeah (sighs) probably we still watch the old Monkees episodes and I my daughter's turning 21 and I I turned her on to them. I said oh you gotta watch some of these and she asked me later she goes mom what kind of drugs were they on when they made these? And I said, probably all the best ones here.
0: Yes. It was a good series. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to chat with us about? I've got a couple other news stories. You're welcome. No. To hang in. All right.
1: Nope. Well, I just, uh, just thought I'd pop in with that, but you guys have a good Monday.
0: You too. Take care. Thanks for listening and calling in, Wendy. Yep, we bye. appreciate it. Uh, yeah, a lot of good shows, a lot of good concerts coming around. And, you know, we started talking. I don't want to get back into some of these stories real quick, but I want to uh, give you a chance. You were mentioning earlier about the uh, your, your podcast. How can people hear it?
5: Oh, yeah, you can go on
0: uh, online at Professional Okay, Profession next
5: confession story that def- we've got here. No, We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, really anywhere you can get podcasts.
0: How many episodes
5: do you have out there now? Uh, we have 48 out, I believe. 47, 48, yeah. And so we're, we've we got a, our 50th episode is going to be with a uh, pedophile that he has <laughs> never molested children, but he identifies as a pedophile and his whole, wait, like, it's Hold a on, bizarre wait. story. So he... How are you a pedophile if you haven't done anything? So he's
4: trying to, like... Pedophiles are attracted to children, yeah, but not so he necessarily... Had, yeah,
5: he's attracted to children, but he has mm-hmm. never acted on it, and so he's trying to, like, get people to separate the word pedophile from child mm-hmm. molester and that's like his
4: big he will never succeed. No,
5: no. and it's it's a bizarre like I've found it on Twitter and he's like all he does oh is try God. to defend the word.
0: Heaven this pedophilia. sounds like train wreck. I need to listen. It's,
5: it's going to be a hu- not it's going to be a huge what? train wreck and probably like the best way ever. Right. Like, and that's when
0: is that episode coming out?
5: Uh he's actually not from the US so we're trying to Get it mm. worked out where it, his schedule lines up with our schedule. Is he in some place <laughs> that, that he can't be extradited <laughs> from? Probably. But, uh, yeah, so once we get that, we're going to make that our, like, 50th episode and do a big, big deal launch with that. So. so he's
0: attracted to children. So pedophilia is just having the attraction. The attraction mm-hmm. to children,
5: yep. And he's saying mm. he's never acted on, so he's not a child molester. But Right. Well, he, well there's a huge difference. He, and so and kudos identifies. to the guy that
0: knows how to shut that down. Yeah. Right.
5: And he identifies as a pedophile. And we're like, you don't have like. Why would you choose to identify as a pedophile? I feel like you should want to come up with a better name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting nonetheless.
0: Hopefully it's usable. Hopefully it's usable. (laughs) (laughs) usable, That's the beauty of internet podcasting. You can get away with just about anything. Oh yeah, like we had. So how did you decide though in in your conversation to you know, we've talked to some war vets, we've talked to uh, military, we've talked to uh, uh, some prison guards. you know what? We haven't had a good pedophile
5: on in a yeah, long we, time. I do, do you land on that topic? I don't even remember how we found him. He might have reached out to us and but we yeah, we and some of our episodes we try to keep it career based, but some of them we've kind of branched off. Like yeah, we I was did a say, special needs a career. parent. Yeah, we did yeah. a special needs uh, parent episode. Um, but yeah, we thought he'd have a good story to tell and
0: I guess make his case for pedophilia. I guess guess yeah finding kids attractive i mean you know i think marketing has a lot to do with that Mm -hmm. um and i'm i can't say i'm not pointing the finger i am wholeheartedly pointing the finger and if you don't believe me look up kids halloween costumes go do it right now it's it's not even like the costumes are slutty but they've got the girls hair all blown out makeup all over short skirts and it's just Mm -hmm. like you know why are you bothering to look dave because i have daughters that's why um (laughs) I just to throw that clarification <laughs> yeah, like, out because people are going to be like, you seem to know a lot about right. this, but it's offensive. It's like, where do I get a costume that's just a costume right. what for my kid? the good old days of just yeah, dressing up
5: as a right. ghost and...
0: You know, I don't mind going to an adult party where there are adult slutty Disney princesses, but I don't want to see my daughter dressed as right. one at the age of seven. You know, yep. high heels and uh, oh, mini skirts yeah. for for little girls to do these costumes, and it's in a lot of the outfits are being more portrayed that way. I sound like mm-hmm. the old man getting ready All to right, shake get my off fist. My don't. I? But uh, no, but
5: yeah, I I mean, because and then it's just getting ready for like when you get older, like in college and adult, like you said, adult parties. Halloween costumes are so lazy. Mm -hmm. It's oh, we're just gonna put on some cat ears and a bra. Yep, I'm a I'm a cat now.
6: Hello. Yeah. Harvey Kubernick. Hey, Harvey, how are you? Is this good? I know I'm a couple minutes early, right? I'm yeah. okay to call now. Yeah, you're about
0: five minutes early, but you're certainly welcome to to join us on the show right now, uh, Harvey. Thank you very much for popping on with us and and uh, joining us for the next segment. Promoting his book, "The Doors Summer's Gone," is uh, Harvey Kubernick. "The Doors Summer's Gone" is a compilation of author Harvey Kubernick's interviews with the members of The Doors, keyboardist Ray Manzarek, drummer John Densmore, and guitarist Robbie Krieger, conducted between 1974 and 2017, as well as Doors engineer, producer Bruce Botnick, and Elektra Records founder Jack Holzman. Welcome back to the show, Harvey. Thanks for joining us. I'm I'm so happy to be here. How are you? We're doing great. Uh, brand new book out. Is it available right now?
6: Yeah, available at shops, retail, uh, Amazon. And through um, other world cottage industries, I'm really proud of this book. And uh, and I, I, I do seem to remember the Doors played in 1968 November in Minneapolis at uh, one of your performance art centers. I know that. So uh, and I know that you go way back with the group. Well, Tom does. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually yeah. filling in for but Tom you, but today. everybody there goes way back with the group. Definitely. Why, why do you think that
0: the Doors, you know, I mean, it's 2018, the lead singer's been dead 40 years. Why do you think there's still such an overwhelming passion and interest in their music and in, in that era?
6: You know, it's a question I've been asked for many years, and especially this century. And I have a few theories And observations? I mean, a generic answer is it's timeless music. Mm -hmm. And another thing is sometimes the current music is so derivative that we kind of flee back to the originators and the really authentic artists. But there is something about the era that the Doors, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and a handful of so many other musicians and songwriters, and this goes back to the blues, R&B, the Brill Building. There's something about the creative intuitives that might have emerged from the late 50s that informed the art and the musicality of the 60s. And I think there was so much negative energy and so much hearsay and so much doubting Thomas mentality that people thought everybody looked funny, had long hair, this rock and roll thing is a fad, it'll last a few years. The Beatles kind of showed that there could be careers that could go a few years. But now we're dealing with half a century and and digital domain and new platforms And a, a multi generational uh listenership um the people haven't seen these people in the flesh i mean i i'm I'm from Hollywood. I thankfully was delivered on this specific planet and got to see and meet a lot of these people as a youth or as a teenager and I become like as Carlos Santana said, we become the messengers in the funnel. To share the vibe. And it might sound hippie ish and kind of silly and 60s and how West Coast, but we're all kind of sharing this thing. And in reality, the music, the sound, the recording, the engineers, the record label, everybody was in a complete teamwork mentality of creating the product, to distributing the product, to supporting the product. And we didn't have to combat like negativity. And haters and online stuff, it was out there. You either dug it or not, but it certainly has longevity. It certainly does. We have to take
0: a break. I'm curious what your, thinks, what your thoughts are, Harvey. If Jim Morrison had hit now with his insecurities and struggles and the advent of just how cruel people are on social media, do you think The Doors would have been able to take off at this point? We'll discuss that and more as we talk about Harvey's book, The Doors, Summer's Gone, when we return to The Tom Bernard Show.
3: Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we
7: deliver. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? Do you got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on Earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet Earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked. When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're straight. Welcome
0: back. This is the Faces Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back with you guys live tomorrow. Joining me right now, Harvey Kubernick. His book, The Doors, Summer's Gone. What do you think? Could Could Jim Morrison have flourished in our current environment, or do you think that the, um, the onslaught of negativity and everybody's a critic would have just shattered
6: him before he even made it? I think he, w- if he would have um, been able to apply some discipline as far as uh, you know nutrition and things like that, and mobility and participation with the corporate world, meaning uh, meetings with movie studios and things like that. I think he could be thriving, providing, provided he was in the environment of his core group, the r- other members of the Doors. But we should always remember. Ray Manzarek and Jim Morrison met at the UCLA School of Film. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make movies. They have their degrees in cinematography and, and film. And so that was one of the things Jim wanted to do and Ray wanted to do, and this certainly extends to Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. So you have jazz and rock music foundations with celluloid vision. That's a recipe that was popular back then and certainly everybody wants to make a movie now everybody can make a movie now but imagine if you had the clout and the and the legacy and the record sales of the doors without some of the legal problems that existed in the personal uh... journey i would never say demons and all that that's to be defined but i think if jim was in a better cocoon type environment and really was focused sort of like uh, the doors were in late sixty five sixty six sixty seven and going through sixty eight that was one oiled machine that also allowed for improvisation and impulse to get out there.
0: But that was during the height of his kind of drug and alcohol stupors as well, wasn't it? I mean, was he ever really in
6: control? He was very much in control. I mean, this is the guy that early on, even before they got signed, was experimenting with some things that were still legal at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was always testing boundaries. But people back then, and remember, we're coming from Venice, California, and Hollywood, and Laurel Canyon. Uh, this is a world that always, uh, you know, they just didn't push the envelope. They were the envelope. And the, and the message in the mail was was delivered, you know, sonically. And, and I admit, you know, as 69 and 70 unfolded for the Doors, and especially Jim, um, there weren't going to be long, you know, 30-city national tours and big arenas right. and all that. In fact, I was—I remember talking to Ray Man- Manzarek, and and I do know know these people. I've known them as teenagers. I saw the original group. I've I've worked with them all. But I said to Ray Manzarek, I said this in 1974 in my first interview with Ray. I said. How do you deal with somebody who, you've got to be kind of dependable to be in a rock and roll band, especially if there's 10 or 20 dates lined up and radio interviews and photo sessions. Uh, how, how did you, how does Jim Morrison, how do you pin this thing on Jim Morrison as far as obligation? And he said, well, the Doors had a thing very early on. They would sort of um, go out and only do like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday concerts. They maybe leave Thursday and come back early Monday morning and then hang out Monday through Thursday at the beach or in Hollywood. And so they weren't taxing Jim to do 5 and 10 and 20 nights in like 22 days and that kind of stuff. So they very early on had an interesting game plan of rolling out the vibe.
0: All right. And, and having that kind of ability and knowing what their limitations were, you know I, I guess that's that's probably the main of why he they survived as long as they did and did as well as they did. How did the band react I mean after the death of Morrison and the fact that he almost seemed to be kind of cleaning himself up was it a, was it a shock to them <laughs>
6: It, it, the physical death and the reports of the death were a shock because like any hardcore celebrity back then, and the, the nascent tabloid press, will call it, mm-hmm. there were a few reports over the years that Jim Morrison had died or had been in accidents, and that pertains to some celebrities over the years that still kind of happens. But, you know, he was in another country, he had had some respiratory problems and asthma and a punctured lung and not the greatest diet on the planet and also the pressures of a, a legal suit uh you know facing some jail time for um indecent exposure charge in Dade County in Florida which by the way only a few years ago um he was pardoned for um so you add up all those kind of things and it does add pressure and this is a 27-year-old person um it's not somebody who and also he wasn't really built for this rock and roll world this is the most fascinating thing i find out about jim morrison he never really was in rock and roll bands before the doors he he i don't even think he even had a day job he was a student at junior colleges and at ucla and then, all of a sudden, he's kind of playing with Gray's group called Rick and the Ravens for a few months, um making twenty five dollars occasionally playing tambourine on louie Louie and Then the doors go into this rehearsal hall, and John densmore the drummer, told me they'd be feeding Jim lyrics on pieces of papers they were developing the songs that would end up on their debut album. He's not like everybody today that's got their first instrument at eight and is subscribing to Rolling Stone at nine and looking at spreadsheets and and doing analytics of the kind of clothing and where we get our haircut and alignments of which parties and receptions to go to and let's get the right lawyer at our bar mitzvah. I mean, that stuff did not exist with the Doors and Jim Morrison. So he really didn't, he wasn't prepared for this thing. So you got a very raw talent who was emerging, where, Jim, where people like the drummer had been in bands since age nine. Ray Manzarek had been in groups in the Army. Ray, Robbie Krieger, the guitarist, had been in the Psychedelic Rangers. Imagine putting in, it's like a baseball player for the Twins in, in your city, who never really was in AAA or Double A or single A, signed right off a high school campus or a college, and all of a sudden you're in the starting lineup. That doesn't really happen today.
0: The, the book com- is out and available. When you talk to these guys, in, in, even in later states of their life, was there anything that really surprised you about their story? W- were there pieces that they gave you that you had no understanding of before?
6: Every time I would interview the principals of the Doors, and even last week mm-hmm. I ran into the guitarist Robbie Krieger at a, at a market, like two days in a row, two different markets in Southern California. And he said, are you coming to my show at the Canyon Club in uh, Calabasas, California? And I said, uh, you know, I've seen you a lot. I've got things. I'm on book deadlines. I can't go. And I'm kind of bummed out at some of the shows I go to where you play. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, do you know, the last couple times I've seen you play, there was like three girls in the room. It's a it's a bunch of guys, and Robbie said, "Yeah, a lot of the girls disappeared when Jim disappeared." <laughs> oh sure, <laughs> but they. But I I get to ask Robbie things like you know I find out it's only recently that I realized he didn't really play with a pick like Jeff Beck, and he didn't use a lot of wah wah pedal stuff on a lot of their albums. Maybe on a couple of cuts like Peace Frog, so the sound even the guitarist sound isn't trapped with some of the technology i wouldn't call them gimmicks of the era it's very fresh music and and constantly if i run into the drummer john densmore it's a jazz rap about john coltrane and and uh, i'll ask about a tune and they'll say oh yeah i i got that influence from elvin you know elvin jones i constantly because i focus on the music i don't focus on the myth I actually make it a point to be in the studios where they recorded all their music at various places. Um, and, you know, my parents are from Chicago. Ray was from Chicago. I might have gone to Fairfax High School, but I went to Uni High School for summer school, where John Dinsmore went to high school. And I have these bioregional links with these people mm-hmm. that I probably might be the right guy for this gig. But
0: was there information? I mean, what what do you think was some of the most um, unbelievable information that you gleaned from them about the recording sessions and working at the height of their career?
6: One of the um, one of the most uh, really interesting things that I found out about them. And this is from an interview with uh, Bruce Botnick, who engineered all the records and eventually engineered and co-produced the "La Woman" album. The first Doors album was recorded like in ten days because they had rehearsed the material over the previous year uh, and they went and they did that first album in ten days i mean we're we're now looking at an album that is fifty one years old sold millions of copies and they had worked out the songs in clubs but the ma- the music sounds so fresh you wouldn't have thought that some of these tunes were played ten twenty or thirty times that was that
0: was kind of a revelation to me right because to me the doors music always had that um that spark of of though you know it was a lot of it might just be evolving as they were playing it at the time and to have made it sound that way but it was still fresh and that they were just kind of rehashing that's that's really kind of an interesting magic that they that they had
6: Yes, and I know the word magic is often uh, overused or exploited to put a little sheen on everybody, get everybody hot and bothered. But, you know, I, like today, I was anticipating this interview, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I was singing Moonlit Drive where Morrison says, let's swim to the moon. And we're literally colliding with, like, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Jim Morrison in 1965 is doing the line, let's swim to the moon. I mean, I don't think people were doing things like that or uh, talking about a a relationship, an incredible line uh, about a woman trapped in a a prison of her own device. It's not really a me too kind of statement, but he just had these observations. In fact, Recently, um, Robbie Krieger was talking about the song "Love Me Two Times," and I thought it was—I never quite knew what it was about. But he, but he had mentioned that it was about a guy either having to go to Vietnam or go to do some military op, military obligation, you know. And the lyric, "Once for tomorrow, once for today," like he was leaving his loved one, or his wife, or his girlfriend. "Love me two times before I go away," you know. I mean, you. And it's still, it's a a war song. It's a commentary on war and departure, but it's still relevant today because how many people in Iraq or whatever it is are experiencing the same movement?
0: No, you're right. It's it's beautiful music. There was something about that. and, And I think, you know, it was the elegance of Jim Morrison not being trapped by the machinations of the rock industry at that time, right? I mean, he was coming at it from a different perspective. As you said, it was... They took a rookie out and put him into in, right into the lineup, so he wasn't following the same trappings, and maybe that's why the music and really stood out.
6: There's an, there's another element, and I don't. This is my theory, and it applies to the Doors, and it applies to you too. I don't think it applies to too many rock and roll. Most rock and roll bands, shall we say, have a principal songwriter or a songwriter team, right? And the DARS music was written largely by jim Morrison and robbie krieger was a very secret he wrote a lot of like my fire love me two times he wrote some great songs by himself or Definitely. in joint with the group but the interesting thing about the doors and i think this lends to the longevity and the durability of their catalog and their impact on the world it was a democratic band as far as revenue and fiscal income streams, meaning everybody in that group shared in the copyrights and the songwriting publishing, including the drummer as an equal member. I believe that is existing in the group U2 where the drummer is an equal in revenue and, and income and, and songwriting splits and all that, but you don't really have that too often where everybody and, and, and Ray Manzirk and I used to talk about this. Jim Jim would say, I want to split it this way. I want it to be equal. Uh, you guys are in on the music. It's my words most of the time. And they had one for all, all for one. All four of them had to agree on on on, on bookings, gigs, right. venues, um, early usage of songs. I don't really think that exists in too many of today's artists most where like you have that. this this disgrouped them
0: right and that's because and that's why i think groups don't last long and they don't create that kind of everlasting music harvey kubernetes the book is called the doors summer's gone it's out and available thank you for stopping by harvey thank you all for tuning in and being a part of our show tom will be back with you tomorrow i'm dave schrader check me out at darknessradio.com you've been listening to the tom bernard show